This evening scripture reading will be read from John chapter 3 verses 17 through 21. John chapter 3 verses 17 through 21. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already, because he hath not believed in the name of of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the con condemnation that light is come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. For everyone that doeth evil hate the light, neither cometh to the light, lest his deeds should be reproved. But he that doeth truth cometh to the light, and his deeds may be made manifest, that they were wrought in God. Good evening and welcome again to our worship service. We're grateful for your presence. We appreciate Matt leading us in these beautiful hymns tonight. We're thankful for your presence. To those who are visiting, we encourage you to come back and be with us at every opportunity and occasion that you may have. We're very grateful for the work here at Olive Branch, and our prayer is that God will bless our efforts, that we might do all that we can to exalt the name of Christ in this community and lead others to him who is the fountain of all blessings. We're going to be looking tonight at John chapter 3, verses 17 through 21, the passage that Isaiah read just a moment ago. I want us to think for a moment or two about the theme, the coming of Jesus. And of course, the Bible clearly documents the coming of Jesus. The Old Testament points in the direction of the coming of a Messiah, a Redeemer, a Savior. The New Testament, however, is simply a confirmation of the fact that the Christ, the Anointed One, the Messiah, has indeed come. And so in John chapter 3, we have Jesus making some statements relative to his coming. The first thing that I would call your attention to as we look at this text has to do with the purpose of Jesus' coming. If you and I were to ask, why did Jesus come to earth? It might be summed up in one word, and that word would be redemption. Jesus came to redeem lost humanity. Note, if you would, what he says in verse 17. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. The first thing that I think about when I read this passage is the fact that men and women overall are in a state of condemnation. Listen again to what he said, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. We think about the state of the world. The world was under condemnation. That's why we needed a Redeemer. That's why the Son of God had to come into this world. All the way back in the book of Genesis, God in chapter 2 had set forth the prohibition to the first couple not to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. He said, the day you eat thereof, you will surely die. In chapter 3, we know from reading that passage of Scripture that the first couple, Adam and Eve, ate of that forbidden tree. As a result of that, death came upon the human family, both physical and spiritual death. 
And so in chapter 3, verse 15, we read of the promised seed, the coming of the Messiah. And Moses records that for us. But the state of mankind, man is under sin. In the book of Romans, in chapter 1, Paul simply states that the Gentile world, they are under sin. In chapter 2, he speaks to the Jewish world. Now, if you think about the Jewish mindset, if they had heard Paul condemn the Gentile world, they would have applauded. They would have amened what Paul said. But in chapter 2, he said that the Jewish world, they too, he said, were under sin. And so in chapter 3, he said, there's none righteous, no, not one. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. So that's the state of the world. Man is under condemnation. But then Jesus introduces us to the concept of a Savior, that is, the Savior of the world. Listen again to what he said. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Why did Jesus come to earth to save us? He came to set us free from sin and death. When the angel of God announced to Joseph, the earthly father of Jesus, when this angel announced the birth of the Christ, he said, that which is conceived in Mary is of the Holy Spirit. He said, she shall bring forth a son, and you will call his name Jesus. For it is he that will save his people from their sins. When Jesus was born, do you remember what Luke recorded in chapter 2 about the birth of the Christ. He said, To you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. Jesus came to save men and women from sin. That's why John said in 1 John 4, verse 14, We have seen and testify that the Father has sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. And so God sent his son into this world not to condemn the world. The world was already condemned. Jesus didn't have to come to condemn the world, but rather he came to set the world free. That is to save the human family. And so the work of the Son of God. We talk about the purpose of Jesus' coming. But then secondly, we think about the problem with Jesus' coming. Now, somebody might ask the question, why was the coming of Jesus problematic for many people in our world today, or rather, in the world during which he lived? Why was, why was his coming such a problem to those about him? Well, that could be summed up in one word, and that one word would be rebellion. Now, back in John chapter 1, John identifies the Logos, that is the Word who became flesh. And he said, We beheld His glory, glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Back in verse 4, he said, In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. So Jesus was God incarnate. All right, God incarnate is here upon this earth. How then did His people treat Him? In other words, how did the Jewish people how did they receive him? Well, the Bible says he came to his own, and his own received him not. Now, with that in mind, look, if you would, 
at what Jesus says in verse 19. And this is the condemnation, that light has come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. First of all, we think about the choice of mankind. Jesus said, by and large, that men and women rejected him, they turned away from him, and the reason was because their deeds were evil. People weren't interested in a Savior. They were not interested in the one who identified himself as the light of the world, as the bread of life, as the great I am. They were not interested in the Son of God. And as a result of their evil deeds, they were, they were in short, living under a state of condemnation. They were doomed. Unfortunately, many individuals who are in a state of doom do not know it. Now, those of us on this earth today, we have to make choices just like the people did during the days of Christ. And there are a lot of people that are not interested in spiritual things because, as Jesus said, their deeds are evil. Think for a moment about sin. Sin is sometimes equated in Scripture to darkness. Have you ever thought about the fact that sin does not like light? When Jesus came into this world, what, what was he trying to do? He was literally throwing light on a sinful world. He was exposing the sins of mankind. He was literally laying those, those sins bare. And that's what we need to do today. How are we, as God's people, going to reach a lost and dying world? Well, we have to preach the gospel. We have to hold out a Savior, that being Jesus Christ. Sin likes darkness. What we're called upon to do as God's people is to throw the light of God's Word upon sinful humanity. Paul wrote in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 11, Have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. Back in verse 8, he said, You were once darkness. Now are you light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. We have to make a decision as to whether or not we're going to live in the light of God's Word, whether or, not, whether or not we're going to come to the light, whether or not we're going to exalt the light or revel in darkness. There are a lot of people in our world today, they are reveling in spiritual darkness. I know that there are a lot of people in our society today, in our country, that are concerned about the direction of our nation, and rightly so. I think back to when I was growing up in Chattanooga, Tennessee, and this, this world, this nation has changed dramatically. There are a lot of things that are going on today that just didn't go on when I was growing up. 
there are problems in our schools today that were not problems when I was when I was in elementary school and junior high school and high school. Back when I was back when I was in school, probably some of the greatest offenses were chewing gum, talking in the hall, breaking line. Oh, we had fights from time to time, but the teachers knew how to handle that. They would typically bend us over and swat us with uh, a board called the Board of Education. And guess what? That would make a believer out of you. And I know because I had it applied to my backside on numerous occasions. But the point is that our, our society has changed. And there are a lot of things that are being promulgated in our society today that are not sanctioned by Scripture. And there are a lot of people that have spent a lot of money in our nation to elect a president. I don't believe that God is a Republican or a Democrat. I don't think that God believes that our nation is going to be saved or doomed based on our political parties. It's somewhat interesting to me that we spent a billion dollars in this last presidential election. A billion dollars. In my humble opinion, that's absurd. But I want you to think about something. We've spent a billion dollars to change the political landscape of our country. And I think all of us need to pray for our president, for our president-elect, for those who are in Congress, Senate, etc. Just read 1 Timothy chapter 2. Paul says we are to offer prayers and supplications, intercessions for kings and all that are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. We need to pray for those people. But maybe what people in our society need to do is step back and realize that government, that our government is not the answer to the moral and social ills of our nation. That's not the answer. You want to transform the landscape of our country, it's not going to happen with any political party. I'm sorry, it's not going to happen. The only thing that's going to change the landscape of our nation is Jesus Christ, the Son of God, and the gospel. That's it. That's why it's up to us as the people of God to herald this great message. That's why it's our responsibility to make the gospel known to a lost and dying world. Now, I know that there are a lot of people out here in the world that aren't interested in spiritual things. But that's no excuse for us to turn a deaf ear to what the Bible says, to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Jesus Christ, when he came into this world, he came into a world where prophetically it had already been said he would be despised and rejected by man. Jesus knew what he was up against. But Jesus still came. He still came to this world and made an effort to save lost humanity. Now I think those of us that are the people of God need to step back and look at the spiritual landscape of our nation and not just throw up our hands and say, well, it's no hope or there's no hope. There's no use in trying to do anything. Listen, 
We have the most powerful message known to man. It's called the gospel. The Bible is God's power unto salvation. Romans 1, verse 16. The Hebrew writer said, It is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. The question is, do we believe in the power of the Word of God? Do I believe that the power of the gospel can transform the lives of people? Absolutely. We talk about some of the problems in our society today, and I said that by and large, sin does not like light. And that's why it's our responsibility to shed light on the sins of the human family. Now, we don't do that in an ugly, caustic way, but nonetheless, we must simply state what the Bible says. There are a lot of people in our world today that are advocating same-sex marriages. They're advocating the alternative lifestyle, homosexuality. Well, I really believe that there are a lot of people in this country that don't buy into that. Do I believe that those who are caught up in that way of life, that they're beyond hope, beyond repair? Absolutely not. How do I know that? Because the Bible says in Acts 18, verse 8, that many of the Corinthians hearing believed and were baptized. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9 beginning, Paul said that there were some who were living in homosexuality. But he said, you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. The same thing is true when we talk about those who are advocates of abortion. There may be people in our society today, in our country today, that are advocating abortion. The woman's right. Somewhat hypocritical to me to think that several years ago, there was a gentleman in the state of California that was convicted of murdering his wife, and at the time she was pregnant. And when her body was recovered and the fetus that she was carrying was recovered, he was charged with two counts of murder. Now let me ask this question. Why was that murder, but it's not murder, to kill an unborn child in the womb? Did you know? that the same Greek word that is used to define the baby in the womb is used to define the baby out of the womb? You see, there are a lot of people in our world today, they're advocating things, but they don't know what the Bible says. They don't know what Jesus has said about the matter. That's why it's up to us to shed the light of God's Word on the lives of people who are living in sin. Now, I understand that there are a lot of people that aren't interested in coming to Christ, but again, that's no excuse. Our job is to take the gospel to a lost and dying world. Jesus said everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come to the light lest his deeds should be exposed. We think about the conflict. There's a conflict in Scripture between light and darkness, truth and error, good and evil, right and wrong. But you and I, we're God's people. And we have within us the power to bring about change in this world. And the power does not necessarily lie within us, but rather it resides in the message that we believe and practice and obey. It's called the Word of God. And so we talk about the purpose of Jesus' coming, the power, or rather, the problem with Jesus' coming, and then in the third place, the power 
of Jesus' coming. Jesus made a difference in the lives of people. Now, when you talk about the power of Jesus' coming, you need to, I think, accentuate the fact that there were some who were receptive to the coming of Christ. Read sometime this week the four narratives of the gospel, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And note the great multitudes of people that Jesus came in contact with on a daily basis. And note how he made a difference in the lives of those people. I talked a moment ago about the choices that we make. We, we're going to make choices in this life. The people during the first century, they had to make choices. They had to, they had to decide whether or not they were going to follow the Son of God or reject Him. But well, we have to make the same decisions today. But look, if you would, at verse 21. Jesus said, He who does the truth comes to the light, that his deeds may be clearly seen, that they have been done in God. First of all, there is compliance to the truth. That is, those who do the truth. That is, they put it into action. Go back through the gospel narratives and think about some of the people that Jesus met with and look at what a difference he made in their lives. We talk about people doing the truth. Zacchaeus, for example. When Jesus passed through the city of Jericho, and Jericho was located just northeast of the city of Jerusalem, he came in contact with a tax collector by the name of Zacchaeus. And Zacchaeus was looked down upon by many of the people during his day because people didn't have any use for tax collectors. But he was a Jew. He was a man of small stature, and so he climbed up into a sycamore tree to see the Lord as he came down the street. When Jesus saw him, he said, come down from that tree. Jesus went into his home, had the opportunity to visit with Zacchaeus. And the Lord said, today salvation has come to your house. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Well, think about in John chapter 4 when Jesus talked to that woman of Samaria. Here was a person who has been described as a half-breed. The Samaritans were a despised group of people by the Jews. And yet Jesus identified himself as the Messiah, the anointed one to her in verse 25 of chapter 4. She went out and told others, Come see a man that's, that has told me all things, all the things that I've ever done. Did Jesus make a difference in her life? You better believe it. We're going to the home of Matthew. Matthew was one of the apostles. And Matthew and his friends had the opportunity to entertain Jesus in his home, according to Matthew chapter 9. Jesus was chided by the religious leaders for eating with publicans and sinners. But Jesus responded by saying that those who are sick have no need of a physician. Jesus is the great physician. He made a difference in the life of Matthew. He made a difference in, in the lives of untold people during his day. He continues to make a difference in the lives of people. 
But what about this idea of compliance to the truth? Jesus said, those who do the truth come to the light. In John chapter 8, Jesus said, you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. There is a correlation between Scripture and the Savior. There are people today that talk about having a relationship with Jesus, but they want to live as they choose. They want to live as they please. They don't want to have to follow what the Bible says. Well, you can't do that. Jesus said that we are his disciples if what? If we continue in his word, according to John 8, verse 31. If we're following the word of God, then we can ultimately know whether or not we have a relationship with the Lord. We talk about compliance with the truth and then the comfort afforded us in the truth. Jesus said that those who do the truth come to the light that their deeds may be clearly seen that they have been done in God. Here's what John said in 1 John 2 verse 3. Hereby we do know that we know him if we keep his commandments. You mean to tell me that I can know whether or not I'm living in spiritual safety? Absolutely. You mean to tell me that I can know whether or not God approves of my lifestyle, of how I'm living, of how I'm conducting myself in this, in this veil of tears? You better believe it. Well, how are we going to know that? All we have to do is open the Bible. Read and study the pages of the Bible. Let me ask this question. Are you living in compliance with the truth? Sometimes individuals question whether or not they're saved. They question whether or not they can know if they're saved. John said, he who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. In verse 13 of 1 John chapter 5, John said that he wrote these things that we may know that we have eternal life. One of, the great, one of the great things about being a Christian is that we can go to bed at night and know all is well. We can know that there is a sense of security attached to Christian living. The coming of Jesus. We talk about the purpose of His coming, the problem with His coming, but the power of His coming. The power of His coming is reflected in the fact that you can change. You may be living in sin tonight, but you don't have to continue to live in sin. You have the ability to make the choice, to make the necessary changes, to come to Christ. And sometimes individuals will say, well, I'm just too steeped in my lifestyle. You just don't understand where I've been and what I've done and, and the way I've lived. Well, that may be the case. Maybe I don't know your background. But I can read about people in the Bible. People that were steeped in sin. People whose lives were the complete antithesis of what the Bible says they should be. And yet they made a change. What if you had been among that mob of people standing at the foot of the cross when Jesus was crucified. Can you imagine standing, looking at the Son of God, looking into His eyes, listening to Jesus as He 
made several searing statements from that wooden tree. I think about that statement, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus was bearing our sins. And those who were assembled at the foot of the cross on that occasion, they heard him. What about the Roman soldier that pierced the side of Jesus? John speaks of him in Revelation 1 at verse 9 when he talks about the second coming of Christ. That that very person will be mindful when Jesus comes again. What if you had been among those people? What if you had been that Roman soldier? And then jettison forward to Pentecost Day. Some of those same people in Jerusalem, listening to Peter preach the gospel. They had been convicted of sin, and they cried out to Peter and the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? What if Peter had said, well, I'm just, I'm just here to tell you there's nothing you can do to be saved from your sins. What if Peter had said, let me tell you, you're just out of luck. You crucified the Son of God, and I'm here to tell you there's no hope for you. What if Jesus, what if, what if the Apostle Peter had said that? He didn't say that. No, the Bible says that Peter said, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of your sins. You see, even for those who stood at the foot of the cross, there was hope. There was hope for those people. There was hope for Saul of Tarsus. There was hope for Zacchaeus. There was hope for Matthew. And there's hope for you. Some years later, I referred just a moment ago to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Acts 18 verse 8 about the Corinthian people hearing, believing, and being baptized. When Paul wrote to the church at Corinth, he said that they had been sanctified in Christ Jesus and that they were now called saints. Sometimes people today will say, well, I'm no saint. If you're a Christian, you're a saint. And let me tell you who those saints were. Paul said that some of them were fornicators. Some were idolaters. Some were homosexuals. Some were drunkards. Some were thieves. Some were revilers. When Paul wrote his second letter to the church at Corinth, he said, If any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things are passed away. All things have become new. In Christ, you get a second chance. In Christ, you get the opportunity to start afresh. Have you obeyed the gospel? Why not let Jesus transform your life? If you're here tonight... Maybe you're unfaithful to the cause of Christ. Maybe you've gone back into the world. Why not do like the prodigal son did, come home? Why not come back to a loving God who will pardon every sin? Would you do so as we stand and sing?